I'm Zachary Cartwright. This is Water and Food. So typically I've used water activity in product development and you need to monitor the availability of that water. So there's a lot of ways to reduce variation, but obviously you can't change what you can't measure. Where water matters a lot more is in the centers of confection. Water has been called the luck of the planet by Daniel Burston, and its impact and significance are evident everywhere in the foods that we eat. Every year, billions of dollars are spent by food manufacturers to move water in and out of food products. As a food scientist, I am on a mission to understand how this can be done better. Today's episode is sure to tickle your sweet tooth as we're joined by Rachel McKinley. She is a master chocolatier at Purdy's Chocolatier based in British Columbia. As Canada's number one independently owned chocolatier, Rachel is in charge of creating delicious new products for the company. She says that water and chocolate aren't very good friends, but where water really matters most is in the center of chocolate confections. Let's hear what Rachel has to say on water and food. Well, hello, Rachel McKinley. Thank you for being on Water and Food. I'm excited to have you here. Uh, you're our first master chocolatier to be on the show. So I'm excited to, to learn about you and your background and um, what you do. Uh, so why, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us how you got into making chocolate? Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm Rachel McKinley and I'm the master chocolatier at Purdy's Chocolatier in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. And I got into making chocolate when I was doing my undergrad in uh, microbiology and biochemistry at the University of Manitoba. I was really, um, I'm not a very abstract learner. And so when I started cooking really intensely and trying to figure out how food worked, it really sort of solidified the biochemistry that I was studying and helped me to understand the concepts a lot better. And it kind of applied to general food. And then I started buying magazines obsessively and things like that. And one of the things I bought was a Bon Appetit magazine with a make your own Christmas gifts section. And I made some chocolates that year, truffles, salted caramel truffles. And they were so delicious. And they were also the ugliest chocolates on the <laughs> planet. And I started to learn about tempering chocolate. And none of the resources I could find were very accurate. And I just went on this rabbit hole of like obsessively trying to figure out how to do this right. And so I started studying and I took a class online at a place called ecolechocolat.com. And I just started obsessively going after figuring out how chocolate worked. And very soon I was just completely obsessed and sort of the rest <laughs> is history. It's a long history. If you want me to go into more detail, I can thank you. That was 20 years ago almost. Well, 17 years ago. So um, <laughs> well, yeah, time it's, flies, it's even, been a while. Time flies and even even this year has flown by. I can't believe we're you know, here in, in December. Um, but it sounds like your background is similar to mine. You know, I was a, a biochemistry student and to really understand biochemistry, I had to turn to food and I, I got into uh, wine making and wine microbiology for, for my undergrad and graduate studies. So uh, maybe in the future, we will have to team up and, and do something with wine and chocolate together. But what, yes. what types of chocolate are you producing now and who are your target consumers? So I work for a chocolatier. And so the difference between a chocolatier and a chocolate maker is a maker is uh, someone who buys the cocoa beans and makes it into a chocolate that you then use to make other products. And a chocolatier buys the chocolate from the chocolate maker. But my primary role right now is to create new products in the chocolatier space. 
And I really love that. It's creative and delicious and exciting. And our target audience is Canada. We are uh, Canada's uh, number one independently owned chocolatier. We have over 80 shops spread across Canada from uh, Vancouver Island to Ottawa in the very eastern edge of Ontario. And yeah, so that's our target is we want to we're Canada's we want to be Canada's most beloved chocolatier. Well, it sounds like you're well on your way uh, to, to be that. And when you are making these chocolates, where is water important to your process? Is this something that you're monitoring regularly? Yeah, absolutely. So um, water and chocolate itself aren't really good friends. So chocolate mm -hmm. itself is a very dry food and it has a very, very low water content, very low water activity. And in fact, if you add water to it, when you don't intend to, you completely ruin it because what happens is you dissolve the sugar out of it that's in solution and it becomes gritty. And that's called seizing and that's not something any chocolatier wants to experience. Mm -hmm. Where water matters a lot more is in the centers of confections. So things like caramels, marshmallows, jellies, uh, places like that where you've added some water uh, either through the addition of cream or butter or fruit purees and you need to monitor the availability of that water for obviously microbial growth mm -hmm. and then also uh, water content for consistency of your product. And with that water, are you measuring the moisture content or are you looking more at water activity? So in general, so I work for a company that's um, 113 years old. Oh, wow. And typically we've done things very traditionally um, without a lot of measurement, a lot. And uh, we're just moving into the phase these days of trying to use it more. So typically I've used water activity in product development, mm -hmm. particularly for a category um, that's called ganache. So ganache is a basic mixture of chocolate and cream. Sometimes there's added liqueurs or fruit purees, things like that. And to create something in that space that's stable, you really have to monitor the water activity. And so historically, that's pretty much all we've used it for in our process. But I'm working towards um, adding both a more comprehensive water activity tracking and more comprehensive moisture content tracking. Um, because one of the things that happens is we cook things over an open flame. And that causes different light rates of dehydration and then it can cause inconsistent products. So if we can measure the water content, uh, we can create better consistency. So yeah, so it's kind of in flux right now. It's in an evolutionary phase, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're really adding that to your process just to focus on the variation and reduce that variation. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of ways to reduce variation, but obviously you can't change what you can't measure. So measuring is really important. Um, are, you, are you using water activity to look at um, moisture migration? So you mentioned, you know, the center of chocolates being different. Is, is this something else that this is this something else that you look into? Not really, because in chocolate, um, when your chocolate is properly tempered and it creates a shell around a center, let's say you coat a caramel mm -hmm. in proper tempered, properly tempered chocolate, um, that chocolate actually creates a really great barrier uh, against moisture. So provided it's been handled properly. So it's not hugely a concern, more likely in the confectionery space, particularly with chocolate, you're more likely to have fat migration before you have a lot of water migration. Um, so we haven't really dug into that too much yet because um, fat migration is just a much more um, unstable part of the process that we would mm -hmm. tackle first. 
Mm -hmm. Which are your favorite products that you're currently producing? Oh, goodness. Um, I love anything with caramel. I, I think that caramel is one of the most beautiful and fascinating things that there is out there. Um, just when you cook proteins and sugars and water together and fats to create caramel, you're creating like thousands of different flavor compounds to create something that has just the most unique texture and flavor profile. And yeah, anything with caramel and nuts is just really right up my alley. I have to do a production tasting where we've sampled something from every production run during the week and we check it for quality and for ways to improve. And you know, when the nutty caramelly things show up in that box, um, I don't just take a bite, I usually finish them <laughs> <laughs> when I should actually, and it's usually my breakfast on a Thursday morning. So um, yeah, not the best for my health probably, uh, but delicious nonetheless. It's great for your taste buds. So I, I think I'm uh, maybe in the wrong food industry. So <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, um, so our caramel recipe is original to Purdy since 1907. So it's had a long time to be uh, perfected. Well, I might, might be bugging you for uh, some samples later. As you go through your production process, are there any types of seasonal adjustments that you need to make to that process? And is this based on things like sales and holidays or, or how do you determine when to make those adjustments? Yeah, that's a really great question. And it actually all has to do with water. So um, a lot of the things that we cook, like I said, we cook them in a over a gas flame and usually in copper kettles. So there's a lot of evaporation that happens. And depending on the humidity, you know, Vancouver is in a temperate rainforest zone and the humidity outside in the winter can be very high. And if some of that, for whatever reason, creeps into our building, uh, it can change the relative humidity in our kitchen. And then we have to change how we cook. So um, that, you know, we have actual summer and winter uh, temperature zones that we use to cook final products too. Mm -hmm. And we change it over when the relative humidity uh, reaches a certain point. So terrible at remembering that kind of thing. Um, that's what books are for <laughs> and <laughs> notebooks. Um, and work and work orders and scattered operating procedures. Um, and then the other one that we have is a lot of our products require cooling and we have water cool tables of various shapes and sizes that help to cool the product at a particular rate. And those are cooled by just general city water. And so if the water is cold in the winter time, it takes a longer time for those products to cool. So we have to adjust the cooling time. Um, so that's not so much water activity in and out of the product, but it's the flow of water in and around, uh, mostly around the product to cool it down. So that's also a critical factor. Um, and yeah, so we have like seven, uh, seven different tables that are cooled with water and uh, adjusting them for summer versus winter is, uh, we can't adjust them, we have to adjust our behavior. So it, it sounds like you have uh, really good tr control over your process and you know, this probably comes from doing this for so many years, um, having that that history. Uh, so it's really interesting that you're able to adjust according to different seasonal variations and changes in relative humidity. Um, besides seasonal changes, how has your company responded to challenges um, associated with COVID-19? How has this affected your supply chains, uh, your channel partners, and maybe your ability to maintain your goals. Yeah, that's really interesting. So um, supply chain has been a bit of a challenge. Um, 
because a lot of our products, our ingredients particularly come from Europe. So, uh, you know, shipping changed a lot at the beginning of COVID-19 and just the way that things were traveling around the world changed. And so we had some delays in ingredients particularly. Um, and so we just had to adapt by, you know, scheduling what we could when we were able to, depending on what we had and making what we could at the time and then catching up later. Um, the biggest uh, change has been like forecasting because it's really hard to tell what sales will be like from our customers. All, almost all of our shops are in shopping centers. And so, and in different, each area, each province of Canada is mandated differently by their own provincial health authority. So, you know, shops in Ontario might have different mandates than shops in Manitoba, than shops in BC. So, um, so managing that and how each region of shops responds has been uh, complicated. Um, and, you know, diverting product away from shops when they're closing or back to them when they're reopening, you know, has been a bit of a constant struggle. But then also, you know, when you have, you know, you base your annual sales on um, certain figures from the prior year and, and we're actually constantly upgrading our forecast to produce more so we can keep up with our customer demand so that's you know great news for us but it's it's complicated on all levels and uh, it's been a it's been a really wild ride yeah I think a wild ride might be a, an understatement for all of us this year so with the holiday season coming up are there any new products that you're excited about yeah definitely so we launched a brand new truffle this Christmas called the Candy Cane Truffle, and it is a white chocolate shell with a dark chocolate and mint ganache. And it's decorated with red pinstriping on the white shell, so it looks candy cane-esque. And I'm really excited about it because it's a new technology for creating the decoration, and it just looks so stunning. And I've never seen anything like it out in the market. Um, so those ones, if you're interested in them, you should run and get them quick because they are going to sell out this year. Um, we made a limited number and they're selling like hotcakes. <laughs> and then um, more generally, we just launched an extension to our one of our core lines, which is our hedgehogs, which are a milk chocolate and hazelnut center. Mm. But we launched it with other shells, one in gold chocolate, which is a caramelized white chocolate, and one in ruby chocolate, which is a new chocolate um, in the market in the world. Well, all of that sounds amazing. Uh, somebody listening to this podcast, what's the best way to find your chocolates? Is it by going to your website or um, what else do you recommend? Yeah, purdies.com is the best way for sure. Uh, we have a really robust uh, shipping system and we ship all over. And uh, otherwise all of our shops, our physical shops are all located in Canada. So if you're here, you know, you can Google your nearest Purdies. Um, but if you're in the U.S., you can definitely order online from us. Great. Uh, well, all of that sounds really tasty. Um, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to to trying some of these chocolates and ordering some myself. Uh, so maybe I'll I'll treat myself uh, for the holiday season and, and put something together. <laughs> awesome, as you should. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we want to thank you for being on Water and Food. Uh, you gave us a, a lot of good insight into why water is important to your process and um, do you have any final comments before we wrap things up just thanks for having me this has been a pleasure yeah of course uh, thanks again for being with us i'm zachary cartwright this is water and food find this podcast on apple itunes spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts